Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Psalm 119 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations and have established the earth and it stands fast. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's what we're hoping to do this morning is to It goes on, the unfolding of your words gives light. So Lord, would it be so. All right, we're in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to be mainly focusing on the verses from verse 7 to verse 16, but it all comes together. So I'm going to read again one more time just quickly through verse 6. And, and just make a couple uh, comments, and then we're going to dive in. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. This is Paul writing, while in prison. He says, I urge you to walk in a manner, a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Jesus has called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Isn't that good news? And he says, there's a way to walk which is worthy of that calling. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Wow, Paul doesn't pull any punches there, does he? He comes right after us. He says, with all humility and gentleness, patience, love, and eager to maintain the unity of the bond of peace. The unity of the Spirit, the bond of peace. We're going to be coming back to this in a few weeks, for a couple weeks. Then he goes on to say in verse 4, There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. To which God's church ought to say, Amen. In, in that passage, we see that there is an exclusivity, which means there's, there's one way. The way of God is not wide, is it? It's narrow. There's one way. And he says what he says. There's one hope. There's one Lord. There's one faith. There's one baptism. And so he's talking about this unity that we should have in Christ. 
verse 7, but grace was given. And that's where we're going to start. So here's what I want to just remind you of. Last week we looked at this idea, this question. Uh, we, we talked about the saints calling, the saints calling. Today we're going to look at the church's calling. But the saint, every one of us, you are, if you are in Christ, you are a saint. And you might look at your, uh, your significant other sitting next to you and you go, I don't know about him or I don't know about her, right? Uh, now, I live with him, Lord Jesus, I live with him. But in Christ, it's not because you are well behaved, but it is because of your righteous standing that God, through Jesus, has made you holy and blameless. Isn't that good news? He has made you a saint even if you ain't, right? Okay, praise the Lord. And he has done that uh, solely by his merit. And so we talked about the saint's calling. And last week we talked about that the saint's calling is the Great Commission. The Great Commission. And we, we, we looked at the church and, and we said, okay, when we think about the church's purpose, what's the church's purpose? And we mentioned a number of things like taking care of its membership, which some would answer, and some would say holding worship services like we are today, meeting needs in our community, and all of those are good answers, but not all of those are the answer. The answer is the church made up of God's saints. The purpose of each saint is the Great Commission. The Great Commission to make disciples. And so we have this, this is our mission statement up on the screen in front of us. The SBC mission is to help every person, are there any every persons out there? Become a more devoted disciple of Jesus. In other words, that none of us have reached it. None of us have made it to the place where we're perfect. Not all of us are works in progress. Can I get an amen? And I'm not talking about the person next to you. I'm talking about you. You are a work in progress, and, and we are being made more like Jesus. It's a process. Well, when does it end, Ryan? When you die. That's when it ends. There's hope for you. You're going to die, and in an instant, He'll make you perfect. But to help every person become a more devoted disciple of Jesus, that's inside the church, that's outside the church. How do we do that? We do that by three words. Declare, disciple, deploy. Now, here's what I want you to see. We declare the gospel right here in a, a meeting like this on a Wednesday night Bible study in our Sunday school classes. We declare the gospel. Why? To disciple the believers. We want to move from declaring to you to discipling you. What's the goal of discipleship? To deploy you. To deploy you. To deploy means to send out, put, to put on a mission you have a mission, a high calling from God, and we want to send you into that mission. What happens when we deploy you? You declare the gospel. To who? To whomever. And what's the goal of declaring the gospel? To disciple them. What's the goal of discipling them? To deploy them back into the community where they came from. Are you with me? So you say, where does this circle end? It doesn't. It doesn't. We declare the gospel, disciple the believer, and deploy the church. And that is uh, around. We exist, Seneca Baptist exists to help every person become a more devoted disciple of Jesus by declaring the gospel, discipling the believer, deploying the church into the world to declare the gospel, disciple the believer, and deploy the church. It means that, look at me, it means that we do not come to church or rely on the church's programs and activities 
to accomplish the Great Commission. Are you with me? The goal of the church's programs and activities is to disciple the believer to be deployed into their community to declare the gospel. Instead, today is what this is what I want you to see. Instead, the church exists to equip every member through discipleship to deploy into our community to declare, disciple, and deploy. And I want to show you that today in God's Word. And we see that starting in verse 7. Starting in verse 7. Okay? Verse 7 says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, There are two kinds of graces that we're talking about. One kind of grace is saving grace. Are you with me? That Jesus on the cross did everything necessary for us so that we might be forgiven and we might be reconciled to God. And that's the only hope of salvation we have. The only hope of going to heaven is not by being a good person, doing good things. But our only hope is that Christ did everything necessary for us. And that is a gift of grace. Isn't that good? It's good news. So there's that kind of grace. And if we're in Christ, we have received that kind of grace. But here he's talking about a different kind of grace. He says, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So we're looking about gifts of grace. Gifts of grace. Now, in the Bible, we hear a lot of language like in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there is the body of Christ. The body of Christ in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7 says, To each one has been given a manifestation of the Spirit, a gift of grace, for the common good. For the common good. In other words, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and because of that there is one body, but inside the body there is a diversity of different gifts. A diversity of different gifts. Have you ever uh, seen somebody sing or play or speak or say something and you thought, man, I wish God made me like that? That's not the way that God's created you. That's not the way. And Paul gives this crazy, silly illustration in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that a hand can't look at a foot and say, I have no need for you. Or a hand can't look at a foot and say, I wish I was just like him. Because if you had four feet, that'd be odd. So we don't need another hand or another foot or another eye or another nose. We need you to function in the gift of God's grace that he has given to you, which is a gift, a spiritual gift. And there is a unity in the body and a diversity in gifts. God does not need uniformity to have unity. Unity does not equal uniformity, but in fact, God has so created it that if you look around this congregation on this day, not a single one of us looks exactly alike. I mean, have you, have you, have you traveled to another country and seen the beauty of a different shade of skin? Have you, have you gone somewhere and you said, you know what, I'm in a church, a body just like mine, and, and there's nobody who looks like me and thought, wow, God is creative. That's what heaven's going to be like. People of every tribe and tongue and nation in heaven surrounding the throne, worshiping him. What language are we going to speak in heaven? 
I wonder if it's not going to be you're going to speak your language and somehow you're going to understand their language. I don't think God's going to give us one language that we all speak because there's unity in diversity and that's good in God's creation and we see it right here. And these are gifts of grace. God never gave you a gift because he said, you know what, I really need them on my team. I really need them. Man, they're really something special and so I'm going to give them a gift because they're something special. Each one of these is called a gift of God's grace. And grace, by definition, is God's unmerited favor. It's a gift. And we don't deserve it. And the last thing that I want you to see about these gifts is that they are a gift from a victorious king. Now follow with me. Verse 7, or verse 8 says, Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, I'm not going to talk much about the next verse, which would bring up a lot of questions, but we can talk about that maybe on Wednesday night for a minute. But when he ascended on high, when Jesus Christ rose from the grave and ascended to the Father, who did he leave behind that was good for the church? Come on, church. The Holy Spirit. He said, it's better for you that I go. And he left the Holy Spirit with God's people, in God's people, so that they might be equipped for God's mission through God's people. He says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. All these that he had defeated with his blood, that he had conquered, that he had won over through the cross. And in his resurrection, he led as they ascended on high. And this is the beautiful picture. Now, oftentimes kings, as they would go out to battle... A king, when they would win the battle, would come back into their home city and there would be a parade, a triumphal entry where the king is coming, the army having been victorious on the battlefield, and they on the battlefield secured a ton of plunder. They got money and slaves and goods and livestock, etc. And the king would come and in the parade, all this host of that all the conquered ones would be following behind them. And the king, because he had won the victory, would give and receive gifts. People would give gifts to the king, and the king would give gifts to the people. And this is exactly the picture that we have, that Christ has conquered sin and death and hell for us. And when he came back, or when he ascended uh, triumphantly, He gave gifts to us. Gifts of grace. And so in verse 11, we see that He gave gifted leaders to equip gifted members. Gifted leaders to equip gifted members. Verse 11 says, And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Now, an apostle. Is there a, the ability to be a modern day apostle? No. What was the requirement of being an apostle in the New Testament? You had to see with your own two eyes the resurrected Jesus. You had to see him. So, apostles. It's no longer an office in the church. Right? Prophets. One who spoke for the Lord. 
evangelists, shepherds, and teachers? Why did Jesus give these gifts to the body? Here it is, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, this verse is up here. And sometimes we read this verse as a list, and it reads like this. So just follow with me, okay? He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints. And we, in our minds, insert a comma. Then, to do the work of ministry, comma. Then, for the building up of the body of Christ. And we read it as a job description for pastors, the 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 staff people of the church. And we often read it that way, but that's not in fact what it says. Okay, so you have to remember that when this was written in the Greek language, there were no um, punctuation marks. No punctuation, which made reading a Greek manuscript really difficult. But, it's read like this, in fact. Here is the way that it ought to be read. It ought to be read that he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints. And then we ask ourselves the question, why? And in the text, it answers the question with the word for. Are you with me, church? I'm I'm trying to help us understand how this sentence is laid out. To equip the saints. Why? For the work of of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. In other words, Jesus gave the, the gift of leaders to equip gifted members to accomplish the work. Now, I just let's let's have full confession time for a minute. For a century or more, we have gotten this backward in the American model of the church. We have gotten this backward in the American model of the church. We have paid people that do the work of the church, and the members experience the fruit of the work of a select few. We pay those people to do that. And so the church has suffered for it. And we have looked at this unbiblical model and we've blessed it because it's worked for a while. But this is not the model that Jesus intended. Why? Because Jesus equipped his disciples by giving them authority. Don't you remember last week, Matthew chapter 28? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Jesus equipped them by giving them authority and then sent them out, Luke chapter 10, sent them out two by two before him. Why would God ordain it this way? Why would God do it that way instead of doing it the way that we've kind of experienced it maybe in our life? All right, I want you to think about the immensity of the mission. The immensity of the mission. If you have your brief, you can open it up again to that third page on the inside. 59% of the world's population is unreached. 59%. Think about the immensity of the mission when Jesus left. How many apostles were there? Twelve. And the whole world didn't know Jesus. 
And he said, go make disciples of every nation. How impossible would that mission be if it was on the back of 12 men? As gifted as they were and as godly as they were and all that they had seen, it's impossible. Now, we live in this little county called Oconee County. And there's somewhere around 85, 80, 85,000 people in our county. So I'll just make it 80,000 just for ease sake. Now, if you would take your four staff. We have four staff here at Seneca Baptist Church, ministerial staff. And, and if we took those 80,000 people, divided them up by the four ministerial staff, that would mean that there are 20 thousand gospel conversations for each one of your staff to reach our county for Jesus. 20,000. Now that's a lot. Now let's just imagine that each one of those gospel conversations took a half hour. Some are going to take more, some are going to take less, but a half hour for each of those, that's 10,000 hours of gospel conversations for four people. That's crazy, isn't it? It's a lot. That's 1,300 and some change more hours than there are in a single year if you take up 24 hours a day and multiply it by 365. So if Christopher Jackson Law and I never slept, we could get it done in about a year and a quarter. Okay? Wow, that's, that's, that's crazy. But if there are 200 Christians equipped to do the work of ministry in Oconee, it would take each person 200 hours of conversation. Okay, man, that got a lot better. I went from 10,000 hours to 200 hours a person. That sounds a little bit more doable. Now, the question is what if there are 2,000 equipped believers right here in Oconee County? Now, let's ask the question Are there 2,000 believers? I didn't say equipped. Are there 2,000 believers in Oconee County? Yes, most likely there are. There are. But if there were 2,000 equipped disciples, it would take 20 hours of conversation per person. So it went from 10,000 to 200 to 20. Now, listen, if each staff member led 10 people to Jesus this year, we would have 40 new disciples at Seneca Baptist. Wouldn't that be a blessing? Wouldn't that be a blessing? But if each member led one person to Jesus this year, we would have 200 new disciples. Which is better? Do you see why Jesus ordained it this way? He ordained it this way. God knew what He is doing. So the word equip, right down here in verse 12, to equip the saints, that word is the same word for taking a net that has a hole in it and mending it. It's the same word for taking a bone that's out of joint or broken and resetting it. That's the word. So the word does not mean to give to it something that it's lacking, but rather to fit it for God's intended design. Are you with me, church? That's what the word means, equip. To make it ready to fit it for God's work. So are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you a disciple of Jesus? If so, the purpose of the church is for, to help you accomplish God's intended purpose for your life 
And we do so by making sure that you are set in order, mended up, and fit for God's work in your life. That you're in right working order. And can I be honest? This is where the leaders of the church have failed the Great Commission. I've failed you. I, I have. And for generations in the American church, instead of building people, we've built programs. We, we've built bigger buildings instead of making fit people. The, the church has made sure to meet the needs of the congregation by hiring staff instead of equipping the congregation to do the work of ministry. And, and pastors who have come before me and, and I myself have failed the church in this way, and I'm convicted of that. The mission is too big. If six out of ten people on a safe bed are lost in Oconee County, it's, it's, if you added up all 63 Baptist church pastors, or let's, let's say there's 150 churches in general, if you loaded up all the staff members and you sent them out into Oconee County, it would take far too long. When God has given us an army of people to equip for the work of ministry. So what's the outcome of equipping? What's the outcome? Look at verse 12. The outcome. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Just listen to that word, the fullness of Christ. When God's people are equipped, the church becomes the fullness of Christ. Now I want you to, you say that sounds uh, blasphemous, Ryan. Go back to chapter 1, verse 23, or 22, Chapter 1, verse 22, he put all things under his feet and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ is the fullness of God, and the church, well equipped, is the fullness of Christ. It is to be the full expression of all that Christ has come to accomplish for us. That is what we are to be when we are well equipped. goes on to say, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So I got a slide up here for you. Got a slide up here for you. It's a comparison. 
this is the, on, on, on your left is the fruit of a church that equips. And on the right is a fruit of the church that doesn't. Okay? So on, on the left, under equipping, if we're equipping, this is straight out of this passage. The body's built up. There's unity of faith. The people grow up into mature manhood. We're no longer children. We're growing. Every part is working properly. And we're built up as a body in love. Isn't that the kind of church that we want? Amen. But when we're not equipping the people, this is the fruit. We remain children. The Word says we're tossed to and fro. We're carried about. Tossed to and fro by the waves. Carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunningness, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. We do not grow up. Every part is not working properly, therefore we're not built up in love. Question. Let's be honest with each other for a minute. When you look at the church in America, when you look at the church in Oconee County, and even if we're honest with ourselves, when we look at Seneca Baptist, what, what church do we see? Isn't that convicting? Pastors are falling right and left in our country. Pastors are leaving the faithfulness to God's Word right and left around our country. Churches are following these pastors right off of what seem to be ledges. We, we don't see in our country a mature church that's equipped. Most of our churches are built on people and personalities instead of equipping God's people to accomplish God's great commission. Come on now, isn't that true? And there are great men of God who have been incredible communicators that people have left the church and said, well, I don't go to church, but I watch church online. Or I... Listen to Charles Stanley, Don Wilton, great communicators. But let me tell you, they're not helping the church be built up, the church that you're supposed to be a part of. We've built it on personalities instead of equipping. We've got to come and see church rather than a go and tell church. And we've got this mindset, if you, if you build a program, they'll come. Rather than we should be building people to go. I think we've all seen that if you build it, they'll come. The problem is, is whatever you get them with is what it's going to take to keep them. You, you build it with flashiness, guess what it's going to take to keep it? More flashiness. You build it with creativity, guess what it's going to take to keep them? More creativity. And so then the, the church is all about being on the edge, the cutting edge, rather than building people for ministry. If you build it, they'll come, but that doesn't mean they're going to stay. So, as I close, there's five things real fast. I'm gonna, just going to buzz through them. We'll talk more about them on Wednesday night. 
five requirements of the equipping church. Five. Number one is prayer. Prayer. Do you know it's going to take intentional prayer and change in my heart to accomplish this task? This is what the Word of God says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 and 21. Kind of the doxology, the closing part of the letter of Hebrews says this. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, may God equip you with everything good that you may do His will. Working in us. So what's... God does it in us. So what does that mean we need to do? We need to ask Him to do it in us. It's a spiritual work. May He equip you with everything good that you may do His will, that He is working in us. That which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We need to be a praying people. And and listen, church family, to accomplish and be an equipping church is going to take some change to not just how we do what we do, but what we do. Second thing, biblical discipleship. Biblical discipleship. Remember, a disciple is not one that's just learning more stuff about Jesus, but one who is becoming more like Jesus. Are you with me? Now listen to what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Though all Scripture is breathed out by God, God breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Do you see that word equipped? How do we do it? By prayer and by biblical discipleship, which is not just helping you know more information about the Bible, but helping God bring about a transformed heart and life in you. Can I just tell you, I've missed that mark. C, practical training. I don't have time for all this right now. We might come back to it in the days and weeks to come. But remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? Who did he give the fish to to pass it out? His disciples. Where did the miracle happen? In the disciples' hands. Somewhere between when Jesus gave it to them and when it hit the crowds. Jesus gave them practical training. He let them be a part of what He was doing. Who was the author of that miracle? Not the disciples. Jesus was, right? He did it by the power of God. And they got to be a part of it. Four, modeling and opportunities. Modeling and opportunities. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Jesus, it says in Luke chapter 10 verse 1. I think we've got it. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them ahead of him two by two. Into every town and place where he himself was about to go. There was a time where Jesus gave them an opportunity to go and be useful. All right, guys, I know we hang out a lot as the 12, but it's time for you to get out of here. It's time for you to go. And here's how we're going to do that. 
He gave them opportunities and he modeled it for them. And last is evaluation. Evaluation. What do you mean? At the end of Luke chapter 10, or this passage in Luke chapter 10, verse 17, the 72 returned with joy. And this is what it says, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Wouldn't that be amazing? Now, if all authority has been given to Jesus, and you have the power of Jesus living in you, even we have that ability to his name. Now, that would be incredible. And he said to them, guys, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given authority. I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions on all, over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, listen to what he said, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. They came back from their mission, they evaluated their mission, and Jesus says, just remember, don't let this get to you. Don't let your success in my name get to your head. Don't rejoice in what God accomplished through you. Simply rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Church family, I want to become an equipping church. It is our job as a church, as leaders, and we, we've talked about this, that we have failed to equip you. And we, we want to we do over. I know I can't go backward. But we want to move forward with a different mindset of everything that we do. That it's to equip our people to deploy them into the mission field. There are some of you here, if you were to die today and I would ask you the question, do you know where you'd go? And you'd say, well, I hope I'd go to heaven. And I just want to tell you, Jesus just gave you an answer. Don't rejoice in what God has done through you. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. You say, Ryan, I don't know if my name's written in heaven. You can today. You can. There's a book in heaven called the Lamb's Book of Life. The Lamb's Book of Life is it's, it's the names of those that belong to Jesus. That he has purchased with his blood. Those who have trusted in what Christ has accomplished for them. That he died for their sin. That he rose again. And that he ascended to the Father. It's those who trust in that finished work. Their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And today, you can surrender your life to Christ. And accept that gift. As your own. So if that's you. I don't want you to leave. Without knowing. Today. Let's pray. Father that's our prayer. Our, our prayer today. Is that if there's anybody here. Who doesn't know Jesus. As Savior. And Lord. Who has not entrusted. Their lives. To him surrendered their lives to him 
that today you'd speak to them and you would allow them to say with all of their heart in their own words, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And Jesus is just that. And I trust Him as my Savior. And I surrender to Him as my Lord. Let it be so today. For the rest of us, Help us to set our minds and our hands and our hearts to the Great Commission, to pray like we've never prayed before for the lost, and to change the mindset to go and tell, rather to come and see. Lord, forgive us where we failed you, and change us to be more like you. In your name we pray. And everybody said, would you stand as we sing a closing hymn? His mercy.